make that money DraftKings session number 13 UFC Rodriguez versus Stevens spectate while your pockets accumulate make that money DraftKings Sessions number 13. I'm your host, Uber Mike, and we're here to break down another UFC event so we can get our DraftKings lineup right. And at the same time, if we're betting, get some insights so we can make that money with the bookies. So with no further ado, let's go ahead and get into some channel business. Go ahead and like, subscribe, and share this video if it has brought any sort of value to you or if you just think it's a great video. By all means, do what you got to do. At the same time, if you are listening to this on the podcast, all the stats in regards to fight points per fight, the records, height, everything is on the YouTube. All the visuals are on YouTube basically is what I'm trying to say. Uh, on top of that as well, if I sound a little nasally, your boy is sick, but I don't give a damn about being sick because I'm here to give y'all the breakdown of the make that money. Our underdog locks have been doing good three weeks in a row. It's kind of hard to pick an underdog lock for this respective card, but hey, we're here to make it bang. We're here to make it do what it do. So I ain't scared to give y'all this underdog lock and hopefully he comes through for us. Oh, there we go. A little bit of clue. It's a he. But anyway, uh, other than that, keep in mind every 100 subscribers this channel gains on the youtube i will be doing a live stream so we're i think 73 subscribers away from the next live stream so let's keep it going guys really appreciate y'all being on this journey with me and with no further ado man let's get into the main event for this DraftKings slate and we have yair rodriguez at the DraftKings price of 8200 versus jeremy little heathen stevens at the DraftKings price of 8000 and with yair rodriguez yair rodriguez brings a lot of unorthodox striking prefers his range but then whenever he is able to get the, that range he throws a lot of unorthodox strikes a lot of spinning attacks a lot of like front like head kicks and such just really funky style like think of it as like a mexican version of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson minus like all the refined skills and sharpness of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and if you look at his respective wins he did beat uh Andre Touchy Philly it was a while back it wasn't the Andre Philly that we see now but still really impressive on the resume he beat BJ Penn before he was washed like BJ Penn was halfway washed but he wasn't all the way washed so not bad for a young man but let's go into the weaknesses of Yari Rodriguez and what I see in his game is pressure they say pressure breaks pipe but pressure breaks yeah rodriguez is very entertaining style look at his last bout against korean zombie and look at the bout before against frankie egger what did those two respective fighters do to yair they pressured him they got him in the boxing range they had him backing up and every time they got in the pocket with them they opened up strikes especially in the boxing department and made him throw hands for hands yeah rodriguez he can't really like counter off the back foot he needs his space he needs like an even tempoed kind of relaxed fight so he can get off his crazy stuff and, and his techniques and such yeah he has teep kicks and such and oblique kicks and all these other different kind of kicks and strikes that can slow the opponent down from the outside but it's not simply enough if the opponent decides to bite down on the mouthpiece get in the respect get in Yair's face and make this a very dirty and grimy fight another thing in Rod Rod Yair Rodriguez's game as well in regards to pressure is the hands department isn't that great 
So whenever his kicks do get shut down and he simply has to box or counter box or things of that sort, it, it, is, it isn't up to par. Like the legs have to set up everything for Yair. So as I mentioned before, it definitely needs his space so he can get off his game. And whenever he's able to get his legs involved, his hands follow up to suit. But put pressure on this guy and it shuts down his game. He's not as good. Yes, he did knock out Korean Zombie in the last seconds of their last of his last bout, but that was a Hail Mary knockout. Korean Zombie, I don't even know why he volunteered to jump into that, but it is what it is. Another thing as well, Yair has taken a year off in between the Frankie Yeager and Korean Zombie fight and the Korean Zombie fight and this fight with Little Heath and Jeremy Stevens. So he's been off for a respective two years or so. Not necessarily two years, but like he took the Frankie fight year off, took the Korean zombie fight year off, and now he's fighting Jeremy Stevens. So how much better has he gotten? We could play this narrative like, oh, he's gotten better, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. But then this isn't the cupcake matchup you're necessarily looking for. And looking at his opponent, Jeremy Stevens, this guy's been around for a super long time, fought at 155. Currently, he's came down to 145 as well and has fought a super tough schedule of opponents. Has fought RDA way back before RDA, who, who was who he was. Recently fought Sabit, fought Jose Aldo, fought uh, Josh Emmett. Like, this guy has fought veterans, man. And what Jeremy Stevens brings to, the, to this respective matchup is pressure. Pressure, knockout power, impressive leg kicks veteran savvy durability just jeremy stevens just brings all that on top of that as well he brings really 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 good cardio one thing that i'm going to be mentioning a lot in this respective podcast is elevation because this bout is taking place in mexico city and the elevation there is no joke it took down the meme sea level cane and it could take if it took him down it could take anybody down but with jeremy stevens from what i was able to research he went out to mexico i believe six weeks ago or so so he's definitely gotten out there gotten acclimated look at his recent interview with ariel hawani on the espn mma youtube channel and it'll give you all the insights of like how he's been going about his training and stuff i'm really confident on what i heard from him but looking at his respective weaknesses with jeremy stevens you would say footwork a bit just he likes to come in straight 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 kind of thing he can cut off his opponents and such but then it can it seems that his uh style is uh rudimentary because he's been around for so long, looking at his record over here, 20 and 16, compared to Yair's 11 and 2, just been in the game for a super long time, rudimentary uh, footwork. On top of that as well, if an opponent brings a, any sort of like takedown threat, like Frankie Yeager did, or even Zabit did whenever he fought Jeremy Stevens, then that can also stifle his pressure style. But going into the fight prediction, I see Jeremy Stevens winning this bout by decision. Yair will have his moments in the beginning of the bout, especially if Yair is able to like commit shots to the body like Jose Aldo did whenever he fought Jeremy Stevens. He can find some success there. But from what I saw from the Korean zombie fight, uh, Yair can't really, from that, from the tape, Yair can't really like sustain that kind of attack for five rounds, in my opinion. And I feel like Jeremy Stevens being acclimated to Mexico. Also mentioned that he trained, I believe, a week or two in Big Bear, California with Tony Ferguson. So that can only help you even more. And just hearing the hunger and such that he has to take on this uh, young fighter who's had a year off. I believe Jeremy Stevens is going to be able to just get in Yair's face, force this fight to be in boxing range. And Jeremy Stevens is just going to unload strikes on him. On top of that, I could see the leg kicks of Jeremy Stevens debilitating Yair Rodriguez like it did against Gilbert Melendez when Jeremy Stevens fought him. 
and going into the DraftKings price, you could see that both of these fighters are similarly priced with Yair Rodriguez being at 8,200 and Jeremy Stevens being at 8,000. I'm leaning more towards Jeremy Stevens, obviously, just because he brings that pressure and he keeps it forward and he can stifle Yair. Because if you look at how Yair scored against uh, Korean Zombie, if he didn't get that fifth round Hail Mary finish, I believe he would have scored 40 points or so. And it makes you wonder, if you are going on the side of Yair, will he be able to maintain the outside attack and stop the pressure of Jeremy Stevens or will Jeremy Stevens have a brain fart and let and just wait outside on in range and let Yair do what he needs to do I don't really subscribe to either one of those either one of those those things Frankie Yeager in the uh, Korean zombie fight showed me a lot of stuff that Jeremy Stevens can absolutely mimic I believe in his cardio I believe in his power I believe in the approach that he's going to bring and make this a dirty grimy fight where Yair is going to have to dig deep, and Jeremy Stevens is just going to dig a bit deeper, in my opinion. In the next bout, we have Alexa Grasso at the DraftKings price of 8400 versus Carla Esparza at the DraftKings price of 7800 And with Alexa Grasso, if you look at Alexa Grasso, before she fought Carolina, I believe her last bout before that, she fought Tatiana Suarez. And Tatiana Suarez, no shame in losing to her. That's the female Khabib. Tatiana Suarez came out here, ran through Grasso. Grasso took a year off, came back against Carolina, a fight which I thought she was going to lose, and looked absolutely phenomenal. Alexa Grasso trains with Irene Aldana, who we're going to be talking about later on in this episode. And what Alexa Grasso brings to this bout is boxing. Very, very, very good MMA boxing. Controls range, uses a jab, doubles up on the jab, lateral movement, body, head, great counterboxing on the back foot whenever she's getting pressured. This looks absolutely phenomenal based on what I saw in the Carolina fight. There was a report mentioning that during that year off, she was dealing with a lot of injuries and such because if you watched her bout against uh, Random Marcos, Felice Herring, Tatiana Suarez, she just looks slow. She looks slow. She kind of looked awkward out there. Her grappling looked like trash, just like all the above. This didn't look good, but like... This is going back to what I mentioned with Justin Gaethje in the last episode. Like, she looks drastically different. Drastically, drastically different in regards to the stand-up. Whenever the opponent tries to go in on the clinch, she has strong frames that she's able to use to fight off takedowns and at the same time get strikes off and move away from the cage and get the boxing going and such. But if you have to look at respective weaknesses with Alexa Grasso, looking back at her tape in Evicta, she does tend to do have some mental miscues in the grappling department which can cost her yes can she go to the ground and such and you know have, not really have her way but uh but be able to finesse the situation or get out of it yeah for sure but then she needs to be keeping this fight on the feet she needs to be boxing she doesn't need to be playing with grappling exchanges whatsoever because that can land her in bad situations where she's being controlled and losing the bout and her submissions aren't really all there per se and looking at her opponent Carla Esparza, Carla Esparza is the inaugural UFC strawweight female champion and she beat Doug Rose to win that belt and lost the belt to Hoana and ever since then has just been trying to get back into the fold of championship contention and what she brings is wrestling she has great 
single leg shots. He has great outside shots. Not really great, like in a Khabib-ish kind of way, but just the way she shoots him, she doesn't stop. Like, she is super grimy. Something I've noticed as well, like, I believe it was after, I believe it was the Claudia Gadela bout that she lost by split decision. She showed a newfound griminess. And as I mentioned before, she likes to shoot, get the takedowns. If she's able to execute those takedowns, she's pretty slow to transition. She's more of like a lay and pray kind of approach and such. But if you look at weaknesses of Carla Esparza, it's definitely her striking. Elbows are bowed out. Whenever she does strike, she comes out a straight line. Like she does one of these and it comes out a straight line, elbows bowed out and such. And then if that fails or if her opponent circles away from her, goes ahead and does it again. At the same time as well, with the bad straight line striking, if she does get pieced up on the feet, let's say like in the uh, Cynthia Calvillo fight, I saw this as well, as well as the Hoana fight, even though that was way, way, way back, she does get flustered if someone's able to put the hands on her and put it on her like at a rapid pace. But as I mentioned before, great wrestling. In the general uh, Robuff bout, her latest bout, she showed amazing wrestling in that bout as well. Doesn't really chain wrestle, but then, like, wrestling is her go-to. And going to the fight prediction, I see Alexa Grasso winning this bout by a close decision. The fight can go one of two ways. Alexa Grasso comes out like she did against Carolina, uses her lateral movement, uses her amazing boxing to counter Carla Esparza, stuff her takedown attempts, and basically just work her with violence. I mean, if you look at the DraftKings breakdown or just the UFC stats in general, Alexa Grasso landed 148 significant strikes in her last bout. She puts that kind of work. She puts that kind of volume. She keeps it going. She's been training in Mexico, so the elevation she's used to and such, like, she will absolutely be able to take this fight very comfortably. But now, if Carla Esparza is able to come in, get her wrestling going, grapple her down, make this a very grimy fight where Grasso isn't able to like get her game off. On top of that, if the old Grasso showed up, the Grasso that we saw before she fought Carolina, then this can be a super dicey fight where Esparza winning the bout would not surprise me. But going into the DraftKings pricing, both of these women are rosterable. Elixir Grasso at 8400 not necessarily breaking the bank there, but then, as I mentioned, the fight prediction, she's going to have to bring that individual that she was when she fought Carolina to really give you a bang for the buck. Because if she comes out flat or she comes out funny or she's not able to deal with the sparge or her, her or her grappling IQ isn't there, then it's going to be kind of dicey in regards to how much he's going to score, especially paying for that much. And Carla Esparza being at 7,800, that's not a bad play at all. Carla Esparza is, she's shown a newfound griminess that wasn't shown in her previous bouts, and she's definitely a live dog in this situation. Very close bout on paper, but I'm leaning towards Alexa Grasso. Both of these women are rosterable. In the next bout, we have Askar Asakroff at the DraftKings price of 8800 versus Brandon Moreno at the DraftKings price of 7400 And looking at Askar, Askar is making his UFC debut. He fought at a promotional scene, I believe called ACB in Russia. And over there, he didn't really fight cans. I mean, he fought pretty respectable competition. And what Askar brings to the table is great takedown defense good takedowns of himself but he uses whenever he uses his wrestling it's more like defensive base like he uses just so let me just stuff the takedown and then patiently strike you and if he is able to get a takedown on you 
he's kind of like Esparza where he tries to transition slowly. He tries to just basically just use the top position. I'm winning the fight. Let me slowly work here, control, do what I need to do. On the feet, like I mentioned before, very patient in that regard. In his ACB bouts that I did watch, he was able to tag opponents here and there. But then the question in regards to that is how good are these ACB opponents compared to UFC opponents? We'll find out this Saturday in regards to Ascar. But if I look at any respective weaknesses with Ascar, in one of his bouts, he was taken down in the first round and controlled for a bit until he was able to get back up. And in the second and third round, he was able to rally back and basically handle his opponent. On top of that as well, he hasn't fought in a year. I read somewhere where he was competing in like some sort of like local Russian Olympics or something of that sort. So it wasn't like he was just sitting down eating ho-hos and hotcakes. He was doing something. But... Going back to the elevation, which is going to be a common narrative here. He's coming out to Mexico City for his UFC debut. I believe he's been out there for about two weeks or so. So we'll see in that regard. But looking at his opponent, Brandon Moreno. Brandon Moreno was making his second stint in the UFC. So he competed, I believe, in the uh, Ultimate Fighter Latin series. And what he brings is just a fight for your money kind of fighter. Grimy on the feet, just those kind of wingy, kind of crazy shots, which is a weakness too, but then at the same time for fighting for your money, it can be a good thing as well, but primarily looks to take the fight to the ground, wants to take you to the ground, wants to take your back, has great back control in that regard, and then from there, try to secure any sort of submission. Now, when you look at the weaknesses of Brandon Moreno, it's going against an opponent with good takedown defense and at the same time good striking because, as I mentioned earlier, his striking isn't necessarily the best. And you could see that in his fight against Anthony Pettis and his fight against Pantoja. Pantoja isn't that great of a striker, in my opinion, but Pantoja was able to stuff his takedowns and piece up Moreno because Moreno just throws these wingy shots. And if you could just throw one, two down the pipe, then you're basically getting this guy. But... One more good thing to add about Brandon Moreno is in regards to fighting for your money and stuff, he is scrapped. He doesn't quit. His cardio checks out. Again, he's one of these uh, fighters who's training there in Mexico, who's been training there the whole time. Elevation will be no problem versus Ascar coming in in two weeks. So we'll see how that looks as well. But going into the fight prediction, I see Brandon Moreno winning this bout by split decision. This is going to be a very, very, very close fight. Whenever I see Ascar, yes, he has all these skills and stuff, but then I kind of question the level of competition he's faced compared to a Brandon Moreno. And at the same time, I believe this elevation is going to play a big role. I've seen Moreno pushing the pace as well. Whenever he did get released by the UFC, he competed in grappling bouts, and he actually fought for the LFA, I believe it was the LFA 155-pound title or 145. Either way, LFA, legit promotion. Went there, fought against a game opponent and TKO'd him. Very impressive indeed. So I see if Brandon Moreno is able to come in here, push the pace on Ascar, push his cardio, and take him to the edge, then he can probably get a you know hometown split decision. But if Ascar is able to stuff Brandon's takedowns, which there'll be moments where he'll be able to do that, on top of that, put his strikes together on Moreno, then I could see him winning as well. But I'm leaning more towards Brandon Moreno. DraftKings-wise, the 8,800, hmm, Unless you believe that Ascar can catch Moreno in some sort of submission or something, go ahead and roster that. I believe that's a bit too rich, especially for a UFC debutante. I, I can't really pay that price. 
But if you believe he's able to pick apart Moreno and get you a nice conservative 60, 70 points, by all means, roster him. I don't believe he'll be highly owned, but we'll see whenever contests begin. And Brandon Moreno, 7,400, he's definitely live in this fight. Really love the price. Really great uh, cheap piece in regards to this respective bout. He was almost my underdog lock of the bout, but I mean, of the card, I meant to say, but we'll see who that is later on. In the next bout, we have Irene Aldana at the DraftKings price of 9400 versus Vanessa Mello at the DraftKings price of 6800 This is going to be a pretty short breakdown. Uh, Irene Aldana, most expensive fighter on this DraftKings slate, but man, she's worth every penny. Uh, br brings excellent boxing, like I mentioned earlier. Trains with Alexa Grasso and impressive boxing, lateral movement. Basically, everything I said about Alexa Grasso, same thing about Irene Aldana. But Ariana Donna does bring like a takedown element to her game, so that's good as well. She has submissions as well. If you saw her, uh, not her last bout against Raquel Pennington, but her bout before that against uh, Beth Gohera. She got her the third round submission. Weaknesses I do see in Aldana's game is if you're able to get in her face like Pudalova did or Leslie Smith did, that can really disrupt her boxing and her rhythm because she needs that range to pop that one-two and her volume and such from, in regards to her boxing. But Vanessa Mella ain't going to do it. Vanessa Mella is coming in at short notice. She is a 125er, but she's coming up to 135. If you look at the height under the info box there, 5'9 to 5'5. Need I say more? Her boxing is super slow. She looks like she boxes at title boxing. She does like cardio kickboxing kind of stuff. I mean, she's won her bouts mostly by decision, but the competition she's been facing sucks. Not very good whatsoever. Doesn't really bring a takedown element like Raquel Pennington brought whenever she fought uh, Irene Aldana. So going into the fight prediction, I seen Irene Aldana actually scoring a late finish, whether it be TKO or submission. I would say late second or mid third round, she gets the job done. I don't see how Vanessa Mello does it, and Irene's gonna have her way. DraftKings wise, Irene Aldana at ninety four hundred. She's a she's one of my she's my favorite nine thousand dollar play on this respective slate. I believe she's gonna be super chalky, chalky man. That she's gonna be popular. So. You can play it how you want to play it in that regard. And Vanessa Mella at 6,800. No way, Jose. Would you watch your mom fight Irene Aldana? In that case, if the answer was no, you wouldn't watch Vanessa Mello do it either on your respective lineup. In the next bout, we have Martin Bravo at the DraftKings price of 8,100 versus Steven Ocho Peterson at the even price of 8,100. So we got two $8,100 fighters on this respective matchup and looking at martin bravo martin bravo he's been training in mexico as well getting acclimated to the climate and such and what he brings to this bout is hands down boxing is respectable he goes to the head and the body and such but mostly looks to this plot forward kind of slow if you look at him on, t on t tape i mean at least when i looked at him on tape look kind of slow and such but yeah he tries to come forward plot forward put hands on you and fight hard and fight grinding you could really see that in display in his fight against Bruce Leroy, where even though he lost that battle, he scored 51, I believe it was like 51 or 56 uh, uh, points in the DraftKings matchup with Bruce Leroy, so that was impressive. He beat uh, Claudio Poleles, who we're going to be reviewing later on in this podcast, and got head kick blasted by Humberto Bandanai. But, I mean, that was just him falling victim to his own kind of style per se if i look at weaknesses from martin bravo hasn't fought in a year 
So it makes you wonder like, hey, has he been getting better? What's he going to look like? I don't think the cardio thing is going to be an issue because he's been training here and getting ready and such. Another thing too, kind of sloppy coming forward. Hands are down, super hittable. But uh, looking at his opponent, Stephen Peterson, this is the second time we've reviewed him on the Make That Money DraftKings session podcast. He brings kind of the same thing. Recently fought against Bruce Leroy as well, so they have a mutual opponent in that regard. Thought Stephen Peterson won, thought he got robbed, but that's a different discussion for a different time. And what he brings as well is just that forward pressure. Hands are down as well. Like, you see why the UFC booked this fight. This is just going to be a brawly, brawly, brawly fight. But... Looking at his strengths, he does have good takedowns, especially up against the cage. He was able to take down Luis Pena. He took down Bruce Leroy, even though, I mean, you can't say that's like a feather in the cap, but still pretty good. Bruce Leroy is pretty fast as well and just doesn't quit, man. Just keeps going, keeps going hard. He's been active. He's faced guys like, like I said, Luis Pena, Brandon Davis, Bruce Leroy. If you look at his weaknesses, same weaknesses as Martin Bravo, with his uh, hands being low, kind of brawly, kind of just ugly style. But his hands, he flails his hands. His boxing isn't as technically sound as Martin Bravo's. Kind of like flails his hands out there. And most of the time, he uses that forward pressure to hopefully get you up against the cage, take you down, and go from there. Also, I saw an interview mentioning that after the uh, his bout with Bruce Leroy at UFC San Antonio, he was uh, coming into Mexico about a week in so it makes you wonder like how acclimated will he be to the elevation yes he recently fought so he should be in fight shape but we'll see how that go also even though he trains at the fortis mma gym his head coach safe saw will not be in his corner so yeah that's something else you have to consider as well but going to the fight prediction i see steven uh, peterson taking this bout by a very brawly grimy decision Stephen Peterson has recently fought compared to Martin Bravo not fighting for about a year. I like the takedown edge that Stephen Peterson does bring to this bout. And even though he will be eating shots and such, I just believe, I believe in that Fortis MMA gym. It's a solid gym. They're a solid product. Stephen Peterson isn't the most solid product, but hey, man, I mean, you can, uh, I mean, it, it is what it is. Uh, going into the DraftKings pricing, both of these guys are super playable. In fact, if you're playing in a GPP or if you just, you know, are playing in a head-to-head and you just want to have a little funky edge, if the fight does go this way, you could stack this fight. You can roster both of these guys. Hopefully, both of them beat the hell out of each other. Obviously, the winner of the bout will get the 30-point bonus. But then on top of that, hopefully, like, one of them scores, like, 60 or 70 if it's, like, a bloodbath as the UFC expects. So you can roster one, you can roster the other, or you can roster both in the next back in the next bout we have jose uh Quinones. i'm probably said that incorrectly at the draft king price of 8700 versus carlos joaquin at the draft king price of 7500 and looking at uh jose quinones i'm just i'm just gonna say jose looking at jose what jose brings to this bout is patient striking leg kick here punch there just more of like a pot shotter super mobile fighter moves on the outside and such but then whenever he's willing and ready to strike he does put it together pretty nicely and he just looks mostly to score points he does go for takedowns but he doesn't force the situation if the opponent comes in like super aggressive or they just lunge forward then he uses that opportunity to get underneath his opponent scoop him take him down score points if you look at the weaknesses of jose 
one weakness that does come to mind is fighters who get in his face. It's kind of like the same situation with Yair. Just if the fighter just doesn't care about his mobility or things of that sort, just get in his face, box him up. It flusters them. He is hittable in that regard, and his mobility isn't really all there. You you could say that he can't really fight off the back foot. Nathaniel Wood, the last uh, competitor that Jose went against, definitely exposed that as well. On the ground as well, if you're able to get down there and you do have some jujitsu or wrestling chops, he is easy to take down. He's easy to control. Looking at his opponent, Carlos Joaquin. Carlos Joaquin is making his sophomore appearance in the octagon. Went against Barcelos. Barcelos is a high, this one of the dark horses in the, in the respective division. And basically got, I believe he got TKO'd. In that. Either got TKO'd or, or whatever the case may be. But what he brings in, he's just a, he's a tough guy. Fights on the mouthpiece. Those winging hooks, winging uppercuts. Fights rough, tough. You know, doesn't really fight for the money like Brandon Moreno, who we just reviewed. But he, he, he's a tough fighter. But let's go into the weaknesses of this guy. Straight punches all day. Doesn't really move his head whenever he throws. Whenever he opens up and throws, he is stationary. So if you're able to throw straight punches down the pipe like Barcelos did when he last fought uh, Carlos Joaquin, you're going to hit him. Close your eyes. Throw two straight punches. You're going to hit something. On top of that as well, if you look at his uh, regional competition that he's faced up until getting into the UFC, absolute cans. He's facing guys who are 10 and 8, 9 and 18, 4 and 12. Like these are the local farmers, the local supermarket manager. Just not good. And now for this respective bout, he's coming all the way from Peru to Mexico. So I haven't really seen when exactly he did get to Mexico City. But then you have to wonder, will the elevation play part in this bout? I see Jose uh, Quinones. If I said it wrong, go ahead, flame me, whatever. But uh, I see him winning this bout by decision pretty easily. I see he's going to box circles around Joaquin. Joaquin will have his moments where he's able to touch Jose here and there. But I see Jose's volume and mobility and better technical striking getting the best of Joaquin and going to DraftKings looking at Joaquin at the DraftKings price of 8700 he's rosterable but I'll do it more like in cash games like your double ups maybe a head-to-head multipliers games like like contests like that and DraftKings I'll put them in those respective bouts just get a nice conservative win if you're like in a GPP and you're trying to make that big money I don't think this guy's going to return because he's an absolute decision machine based on his photography and look at that Carlos Joaquin at 7500 if he was 6,000 I would say he's worth rostering but at the price of 7500 I don't know. I don't think he he brings the bang for the buck. If you have some sort of insight where he's improved drastically, by all means, roster him. I don't think he gets the job done. In the next bout, we have Kyle Nelson at the DraftKings price of 8600 versus Marco Polo Reyes at the DraftKings price of 7600 I'm looking at Kyle Nelson. He's fighting out of Ontario, Canada, and he's had two bouts in the UFC. He had a bout 155. He took a short notice against Diego Fiera where he got TKO'd in that bout. And he took a bout at featherweight where this contest has taken place against Matt Sells, where he got submitted. Looking at his respective strengths, it's mostly his power. Like, he is a tough, rough fighter. He covers up. He tries to get the fight into the pocket. And then once he is in the pocket, he just unloads with big power shots, looking to hit something, looking to cause any sort of destruction. Another thing as well that I noticed about Kyle Nelson is he does... Go for takedowns. And when he goes for takedowns, he looks at transition. If you watch the Matt Sales fight 
which Matt Sells is a promising prospect. He was able to take him down and he was able to transition and get to his back. Didn't do much with it because Matt Sells is a crafty individual himself, but at the same time, pretty impressive. Now, let's go into the weaknesses of Kyle Nelson. This guy gases, especially if grappling exchanges are involved. Going back to a short notice bout he took at 155 against Diego Fiera, he actually hurt Diego Fiera. And it looked like, oh man, he was on the way to victory. But then Diego Fiera got grappling involved, wore him out. Second round comes. He's dead. He's just dead to rights. Fiera just takes him down, controls him, ground and pound. Obviously, he can't get it out. Against the Matt Sells fight, he did gas again because grappling exchanges were involved in the first round. But he did a bit of a better job grinding through that fatigue compared to a short notice fight he took against Fiera at 155. But looking at his opponent, Marco Polo Reyes, Marco Polo Reyes in his last uh, four bouts, he's been TKO'd in three of them. I know we're starting with weaknesses. If I say strengths, this is our second time reviewing this guy on this podcast, by the way. Good head movement, you know, good side-to-side head movement. He's, he's definitely no Floyd Mayweather. But side-to-side technical head movement, he can hit. He can crack. Not as, I believe Kyle Nelson has more power, but he has noticeable power. And if he's facing guys... Like, uh, I believe it was Mark Fofola, I believe the guy he TKO'd. If you're facing against guys who have no idea how to box, he will blast them. But if they have a bit of a striking acumen, by all means, he's the one that's getting blasted. Also, he misses in, he mixes in leg kicks occasionally and such, so that's fine as well. But going to the weaknesses, like I mentioned before, three out of his last four bouts, he's been TKO'd. I believe if you look at his record, eight and six, five of those losses have came by TKO. So this guy is quite chinny. On top of that as well, his wrestling takedown defense does not check out. If you take this guy down like Demir Hastrovich did whenever he fought Marco Polo Reyes, then he is he's a fish out of water. You can control him. You can transition. You can ground and pound him. Things of that nature. On top of that as well, I remember when I reviewed Marco Polo Reyes, I mentioned that Fighters who are crafty on the feet, like James Vig or his previous fight against Drew Dober. Fighters who can faint and such can give him issues in regards to the timing and, and get him blasted, which is what happened. But this bout is taking place at 145 pounds. Marco Polo Reyes fights at 155. On top of that as well, he fought two months ago. Typically, when fighters get TKO'd, you get like a 90-day suspension before you go back in. So the fact that he's coming back into this with 60 days... It's kind of like, uh, and you're coming down in weight, which cutting down in weight doesn't really help the durability. It's a scary proposition. Fight prediction, I see Kyle Nelson going out here and blasting Marco Polo Reyes in the first round via KO. It's scary because if, Marco, if Kyle Nelson doesn't get it done, yes, he could he gas? Possibly. But from what I saw on the tape, it looks like he gasses whenever grappling exchanges are initiated. And I don't see Marco Polo Reyes necessarily doing that because if Polo Reyes gets stuffed or reversed and he's on the bottom, he's a fish out of water. On top of that as well, can Marco Polo Reyes blast Kyle Nelson? Can he hurt him? Yeah, by all means, that can definitely happen. And going back to the cardio thing, Kyle Nelson has been training in Ontario, and I believe he just got into Mexico City, so you can play that into the narrative as well. But I think it's super scary to side with Marco Polo Reyes, especially with how much he's been TKO'd. He's coming down in weight, and now he's facing a power hitter, and if, he, if this fight goes long, he has a possibility to win. But then, man, it's like trusting a bull in a china shop. Anyway, DraftKings-wise, Kyle Nelson at 8,600, good boomer bust piece. 
definitely put him in GPPs, put him in those respective lineups. If he does score the knockout, he will return value. Marco Polo Reyes at 7,600, I'm scared to roster him. If you like Marco Polo Reyes or you think he's able to have the uh, cardio advantage because he did train in Mexico, by all means, roster him. And if this fight does go long and Kyle Nelson gasses, he could win. But 7,600 is just scary just due to how many times he's been knocked out and Kyle Nelson having that same sort of blueprint to go in there and put him to sleep. In the next bout, we have Angela Hill at the DraftKings price of 8,500 versus Ariana Conaleso, Conalesi. Uh, at 7,700. And looking at Angela Hill, Angela Hill, she's been around the UFC for a super long time in the strawweight division. She's fought some very entertaining fights. I mean, great girl. Anyway, what she brings to this respective bout is footwork. Amazing footwork. She's able to get in and out. She can box on the back foot. She can box going forward. Her movement is kind of herky-jerky and such. Not herky-jerky in a stiff way, but like in a very confusing way. If you watch her bout against Courtney Casey, which Courtney Casey is a way bigger woman than Angela Hill. Angela Hill, I believe, landed over 100 significant strikes in a loss. Just And that was just due to her great footwork. But if you look at her respective weaknesses, it is her showing up in bouts in her gas tank. I believe that footwork and stuff that she does does take like a toll on her. Whenever she does get tired, she doesn't give up. She doesn't pull a Conor McGregor and says, I'm done. Like, she'll keep fighting through it, and she'll still keep moving and trying to put the strikes together and such. But that's happened before. Showing up, that's happened as well. There was one time I rostered her when she fought Random Marcos, and I was like, okay, she's going to do her thing, win, cheap price. She got me one point. So, I mean, you got to deal with that. But looking at this uh, UFC debutante, uh, Ariana, I'm not going to pronounce the last name again. She is making her UFC debut, as I mentioned. Looking at the tape, strong girl, like physically stronger. Like you could tell she's on the she's on the, some good Usada stuff. You know what I mean? And then on top of that as well, she throws uh wingy wingy punches, you know. Whenever she uh, this does get to the clinch, she looks really strong from the clinch as well. She can go for takedowns and such, but then going into the weaknesses of Ariana, she's really good at being the hammer, but she ain't that good being the nail. Watching her latest regional fight that she had, the girl that she was going against was literally like meeting her in the pocket, throwing punches at her. And you could tell Ariana did not like that at all. She likes to beat up on girls. She likes to bully girls. But whenever the punches are coming back at her, you could tell she doesn't like it. And it makes sense because another weakness I'm going to mention as well, her striking stiff. A lot of arm punching and such. Yeah, like Angela Hill can come in here and throw like a bunch of like quick strikes and she can land a big one here and there. But... I don't know how much weight that carries in her cardio. Just it's it's gonna be funny here because Angela Hill's been in Mexico for quite some time, based on what I research. And I believe Ariane is, I think she just got in like maybe like a week and a half ago or so. So we'll see how that cardio checks out. But fight prediction wise, I see Angela Hill getting this done via decision. I believe the footwork, the experience, the speed. She's way faster than Ariane. I forgot to mention that as well. Ariane is slow. She's very slow. Angela Hill is going to have a field day in regards to that speed differential. On top of that as well, Ariane, if she does come out here with like a grappling heavy attack or is able to land big shots, clinch up, and then just play the game and win by decision, by all means, she can win uh, this bout. But I doubt that. Angela Hill at the DraftKings price at $8,500. She's not one of my favorite uh, mid $8,000 plays. Mm, if you had to compare it to Alexa Grosso at $8,400, I would say Angela Hill has the safer matchup. Like, I would feel more comfortable playing her compared to Alexa Grosso. 
but at the same time, you got to uh, just keep in mind with her cardio and her showing up as well. And Ariane at 7700 man, that's too expensive. Making your UFC debut, you're coming off whatever USADA products you were using before getting into the UFC, and now you're traveling, you're making your debut in an elevated scene. Like, I, I just don't, I don't trust it. Angela Hill, by decision, 8500 definitely rosterable. Um, I see her as a good cash play. This is a good, safe cash play. You could put her in GPPs if you want, but I don't think she's really has a really high ceiling in regards to this bout, unless she lands like 200 significant strikes or so. In the next bout, we have Sergio Pettis at the DraftKings price of 9300 versus Tyson Nam at the DraftKings price of 6900 And looking at Sergio Pettis, he trains at Rufus Sport. He is the younger brother of Anthony Pettis, who recently lost to Nate Diaz. And what Sergio Pettis brings to this respective bout is kind of like the same stuff his older brother brings except at a lesser version this really patient striking kind of pot shotty like he likes to throw straight a straight punch here straight punch there i don't really see he doesn't really throw more than like two punches at a time he'll throw kicks here and there and at the same time trains at a good gym rufus sport respectable gym as well but looking at sergio pettis's weaknesses it's definitely He's definitely hittable. He's definitely hittable. He's no Floyd Mayweather by any chance. If you watch his last bout against Rob Font, even though he took that bout at Bantamweight, and he's, this, bout, this bout is taking place at 125, uh, Rob Font was eating him up with the jab, just popping the jab. Every time Sergio would throw a punch, Rob Font would come back with two or three and was basically out-voluming Sergio Pettis. On top of that as well, if he's going against a bigger opponent or an opponent with wrestling chops, let's say like a Jasir Formiga, for example, which was his last loss at 125, then he could definitely get bullied. He could definitely get taken down and such. He was supposed to face Alex Perez in this bout, but Alex Perez pulled out, and now he's facing his opponent, Tyson Nam. And Tyson Nam at 6,900 is this cards underdog lock of the card and with tyson nam he's coming in short notice not super short notice from what i researched but noticeably short notice but this guy's been around for a super long time fought at bantamweight fought at flyweight as well this bout is taking place in flyweight and what he brings is just power he brings he has some noticeable power for the 125 pound weight division fighting some very good regional scenes outside of the UFC and Russia and I believe and I forgot what the other country is but fine really good scenes he is making his debut in this respective bout but looking at his strengths he seems pretty measured on the feet most of the time he's pawing out there he's trying to measure he's trying to see where the range is at so he can do he can land one of his big shots whether it be like his overhand right or his head kick or something in that respective regard on top of that as well he does go for takedowns but they're not really like technical takedowns they're more like hey i'm the bigger guy i'm gonna bully you and such and looking at his respective weaknesses his volume can be an issue here but i believe that's why i like him so much in this respect about because he does bring that power element and uh sergio pettis his volume is notoriously low as well so it'll be like a distance battle but going to the fight prediction as i mentioned before i see tyson tyson nob winning this bout by a 29-28 decision. It will be a close bout. Sergio Pettis, even though he hasn't necessarily impressed me, even though I haven't really like eaten up his hype, I don't believe he has any hype in it left. But anyway, uh, I just believe Tyson Nam can come in here, use his size, 
play tit for tat with Sergio and not only like play tit for tat for him, but land the bigger meaningful shots, which will mean a lot more in the respective judges scorecards. If he comes out here and he knocks out Sergio Pettis, I'm going to go flipping crazy. But uh, Sergio Pettis, I'm not too worried about, I'm not too worried about his like power and what he brings to this respective. But yes, he is a technical striker and Nam will need to like be wary of that. But Sergio Pettis is, is a decision machine, man. There's nothing but decisions. If you look at his respective wins, Within the octagon, and looking at the DraftKings price, Sergio Pettis at ninety three hundred, in my opinion, is one of the worst nine thousand dollar plays. Like even if he were to win this bout, I think he's gonna score you a decision and score you maybe like 55, 60 points or so. Like uh, I, I can't, I'm not touching Sergio Pettis whatsoever in any of my respective DraftKings rosters. If you think he can get the job done here and not point Tyson Nam, by all means roster him, but but that's gonna choke up your roster real good. And Tyson Nam at 6,900. I just, man, dude, I'm rostering him. It's gonna give my, gonna give your lineup a respective flexibility. On top of that, as well, if he gets the job done, man, bang for the buck. My underdog lock. Really like the price. Really believe he can come in here and get the job done. Roster him. Don't really roster him everywhere, but roster him, man. This rock, underdog lock, baby. Four weeks in a row. Let's get it, Tyson Nam. In the next bout, we have Vinicius Moreira at the DraftKings price of 8300 versus Paul Craig at 7900 Man, this fight is going to be awful. Both of these guys, we could just do like a duel. We could do like a duel review on these guys. With Vinicius Moreira, he can grapple. He wants to take the fight to the ground. He likes to pressure you. High-level black belt in jiu-jitsu. Uh, but man, this guy, stand-up, head movement, all of that is non-existent, dude. Like, have you ever seen those dummies in the gym where, like, you punch and shit? Like, this guy is literally that. Looking at his fight against Eric Anders, Alonzo Menafil, this guy gets absolutely blasted on the feet. And it's funny because Paul Craig, looking at his opponent, Paul Craig, the same thing with him. Like, he can get blasted on the feet, too. Same thing happened against Menafil and these explosive strikers. But I believe Paul Craig is coming into this bout with a stand-up advantage. On top of that as well, if Vanessa Moreira does come in here and take down Paul Craig, Paul Craig is, I, like I mentioned, uh, I didn't mention it, but um, I'll mention here, this is the second time reviewing Paul Craig, and we call him living on a prayer because he catches people last minute. All hope is lost. He's about to lose a fight. He can catch people on the bottom. Look at the uh, Kennedy and Joku fight, his latest fight, where he was losing that bout until he got like a late second round submission. And... Just going to the fight prediction of this fight, I see Paul Craig winning this bout by a late submission. Now, Vinicius is very live. Like Vinicius, what I think the way he wins because Paul Craig, he's he's like he's okay with getting taken down and stuff. Especially if you watch like his Jimmy Crute fight, I can see Vinicius coming in here, laying and praying Paul Craig getting a nice conservative 30-27 uh, decision win. And then just getting on the wing column because this guy has been blasted his last two fights and he doesn't want any more of that CTE. But Paul Craig, man, he's crafty on the bottom, dude. If you're not on your P's and Q's, he will triangle you. He will he will be living on that prayer and more times than not, he that, that prayer will be answered. But at the same time, like I mentioned before, he's dangerous from the bottom. Paul Craig, he does shoot takedowns are not the best. I will say Vanessa's has the wrestling advantage here. And I see Paul Graham having, having the stand-up advantage going to the DraftKings price. Vinicius Moria at the DraftKings price of 8300 Would I, um, 
you can roster him, but you got to really keep in mind, Augusta win, and this guy slept. Like, he gets knocked out. I don't think Paul Craig is going to knock him out, knock him out, but he's been finished pretty viciously. And if he does come in here and, and wrestle Paul Craig, I think he's going to win a conservative decision. Could he submit Paul Craig? Yeah, like, but I don't know. Paul Craig is just, he's just too crafty on the bottom, in my opinion. And Paul Craig at 7,900 is not a bad GPP play, especially if he's able to get a finish, triangle finishes, shoot, maybe even like throw one of those like crappy back hill kicks that he likes to throw and sleep finishes. But uh, a fight I'm going to have a little bit of exposure to, but not too much. In the next bout, we have Sajara Eubanks at the DraftKings price of 9100 versus Beth Coera at the DraftKings price of 7100 And with Sajara Eubanks, she used to fight at 125 but she has moved up to 135 because she had a lot of issues making the weight. And what she primarily brings to this bout is she's a rough, tough girl. She competed in uh, The Ultimate Fighter, and she can strike. She can wrestle. She's not really, like, particularly, like, glaring strengths in this area or that area she's just okay overall you know but when she strikes i mean she has some powers when she fought roxanne modafferi when she fought lauren murphy when she fought uh even aspen lad like she get, she's able to put the hands together in fact sajara eubanks exposed aspen lad's stand-up if you go back and watch that bout because even though sajara was taken down by against the bigger lad she's able to get back up strike with lad and such like i mean she looked good in that regard at the same time she's able to to execute takedowns as well if you look at weaknesses for shajara eubanks it is her gas tank but those gas tank issues were really happening around the 125 pound division when she wasn't doing well with her weight cut but from a recent interview i saw with her she's been out in mexico city for about six weeks or so so i'm assuming that she's acclimated she's good to go I wouldn't say like fully trust her cardio, but six weeks out, I mean, that's good that you did your, your camp out there. On top of that as well, uh, I mean, I wouldn't really worry about it because looking at her opponent, Beth Cohera, I mean, the only thing I could say about this, Beth is, I mean, she has a nice butt. That's about it. Beth Cohera is terrible, man. She's awful. Like, she's tough. She'll come forward. She Her recent fight was against Irene Aldana, and she had moments there where she was like, getting at Aldana and making it a grimy, dirty fight. But Beth Cohera is the worst. I mean, she got knocked out by Ronda Rousey. Like, Ronda Rousey boxed her up, slept her. And it's just, you can, going to fight predictions, Sajara Eubanks wins this bout by late TKO. I believe Sajara Eubanks is going to be able to take down Beth, going to be able to put the hands on her, and basically just, just get her out of there. DraftKings ranks Sajara Eubanks at 9,100. I would say she's my second favorite $9,000 play. Yeah, she's my second favorite $9,000 play behind Irene Aldana at $9,400. Um, Beth Cohera at $7,100. Don't do that to yourself, man. I mean, I get it. She got that Brazilian butt, you know what I mean? But you don't pay. Don't pay to play that, man. Don't pay to play that. And in the final bout, the curtain jerker, the opening bout, we have Claudio Poleles at the DraftKings price of 9000 versus Marcos Mariano at the DraftKings price of 7200 This is going to be a pretty low-level bout. If you look at Claudio Poleles, Claudio Poleles, he did compete at the Ultimate Fighter, the Latin edition of the show. And what he brings to the bout, he brings like a good overall game. Has respectable striking. Striking isn't necessarily the best. But where he really shines is like in the ground. He likes to pull guard. He likes to go for submissions. He does shoot takedowns. They're not like highly successful depending on the opponent's takedown defense. But at the same time, like 
it is uh, it is a tool in his toolbox. In his last bout against Felipe Silva, he was in a bit of trouble because Felipe Silva was keeping him at the end of his punches and blasting him here and there. But he was able to show grit, and he was able to pull off like a slick last-minute submission. It was like on some Paul Craig stuff, man. Like last-minute knee bar, he was able to secure that. Good for him. His uh, debuting bout was against uh, Marvin. Uh, damn, I, we just reviewed him. Anyway, uh, yeah, so it brings a grappling edge and such. If you look at the weaknesses, it is his stand-up. If you're able to pressure him on the feet, if you're able to stuff his takedowns, if you're able to keep him at the end of your respective kicks and punches, then by all means, you're, you're going to be able to control this bout, let alone TKO Claudio. But looking at Marcos Mariano, if you talk about nepotism, look no further than this guy. This guy is Anderson Silva's homeboy, and with a record of 6-5, and five, man, he got into the UFC. Anderson Silva called Dana White and said, you know I'm the middleweight GOAT. You better put my boy in the roster. He looks like me. But man, oh man, does he not not he does not fight like Anderson. Strength wise, yes, good like head kicks, good outside kicks and such. But as soon as you grab this guy, you could tell he skipped all the jiu-jitsu classes. Ground game is absolutely horrid. And his one and only bout against Lando Venado. Venado was able to take him down, control him, and submit him in the first round. And when you see him scrambling and such, and you're like, dude, what the heck? Like, you're going in this submission. You're going in that submission. It's a mess, man. Fight prediction. I see Claudio Paletas winning this bout by submission. Now, Marcos Mariano can, you know, he can improve. He may have improved. He may come out here with a super smart game plan, keep Paletas at the end of his punches and such. But, man, I just, as soon as it ties up, I just don't trust this guy's takedown defense, let alone bottom BJJ game whatsoever. And going into the DraftKings price, Claudio Palelas at the $9,000 price. He's my third favorite uh, $9,000 play. I believe he can come in here and get the job done. But I'm having, like, Shoeface versus Uriah Hall flashbacks here. I mean, he has better stand-up than Shoeface, but it's just more like his stand-up just isn't necessarily the best. And... If he ends up playing some sort of like outside striking game with Marcos Mariano or if Marcos Mariano happened to improve and do what he needs to do, he may end up having to get that finish later rather than sooner or end up losing the bout. I won't say like I'm completely uh, non-believing in Claudio. I will stick him in a couple of lineups, but I feel like as soon as he's able to tie up and get Marcos Mariano to the ground, it's game over. And Marcos Mariano at 7,200. I mean, I get that Anderson Silva is your boy, but at 7,200, 7, you ain't my boy. And that is the DraftKings Sessions number 13 episode. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. Go ahead, like, subscribe, share. Thank you so much, guys, for coming in, hearing what I got to say, letting me break down the fights for y'all. Go out there, get your DraftKings right, hit up your bookie, put in those bets. This is a great card for live betting if your bookie provides that. Man, just make that money.